0: Before you hear the next great podcast, we'd like to tell you about a new 90-second show which distills everything that President Donald Trump has said in the last 24 hours. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you get this podcast. Uh, Death totals, or numbers per million people, are really uh, very, very strong. We're, We're very proud of the job we've done. Look for a link in this here podcast description or search for What Has He Said Now? in all the usual places. Moon, Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothman back in the chair. And during the lockdown over the last few weeks, we've discussed the glory years with Tommy Booth and Joe Corrigan. We've also talked to my old mate Gary Owen, and last week it was the turn of Jim, M- Jim Melrose, who scored one of the best goals ever scored at Main Road. Well, this week's guest... Has no City claim to fame at all, other than he's the brother of someone who played for City, who was better than him. Welcome to the Man City Show to Jeff Whitley's brother. It's Jim Whitley. <laughs> uh, Nigel, this is gonna be a short podcast, this one, I think. That... <laughs> how's that? How's that for an introduction then? E- excellent. That's a that's a new one, that one. I like that one. Good man. Listen, I understand, actually, it was your sister who got you a trial at the City. Is this right? Were you on your way to Shrewsbury or something like that? And your sister wrote to the yeah. City? Is that, did I hear that right? You, you, you've heard that right? Yeah. I, I would have signed for anyone. I was just so excited. Um, I,
1: I'd been turned down on various trials. Uh, and I went to Shrewsbury. They, they wanted to sign me. I, I was buzzing. And my sister, uh, um, who lived in Manchester, we uh, went back some time, got the yellow pages out and found um, Terry Farrell's name, who's the youth development officer at Manchester City, and just rang up and said, uh, my brother was going to sign for Shrewsbury. Do you want to have a look at him? And he got me in for a trial a week later. It's as simple as that. I don't think you could do that these days. Uh, but I went imagine? in, it was oh, just, just, just ringing up and <laughs> said, yes, it's impossible <laughs> to do these days. Absolutely impossible to do. But it's, it's as simple as that. And, and I, I, there was a two-day uh, trial. Uh, and in those two days, believe it or not, there were so many trialists and so many kids, I probably played in two full games, I probably played 20 minutes in those two games. And as it happens, those 20 minutes, I was on fire. And they signed me a week after that. So very, very lucky as you go along. You'll hear as we, as we go along in tonight's question, it's a very fine line in making it football.
0: And so that, so when did you actually sign for it? Are we talking about ninety three or is that about the time that these trials took place when you first signed for City? Is that right? Was that have we got the date right? Yes. Ninety three, ninety
1: four, it would have been yes, it would have yes. Uh,
0: um
1: I, I I I'd done well at school, so I had the option of, of doing my A levels, which I thought was fantastic and they, they let me do my A levels. Um and so I went to Loreto in Mosside do my levels whilst all the lads went and did their YTS which was cleaning boots and uh, and looking after the players which I missed out on um it, it could have changed my career I might have made it if I'd have done that or it might have made me a better player I don't know but
0: um I, I had to do a lot of training on my own um, which is which is hard but it uh, and who was around at the time then? Then Jim, who who were the sort of people on the on the coaching stuff? You're going right the way back to when you were well, a young it, lads, you, yeah. yeah so who who were the sort of people or, who were around taking Peter those Reed. coaching sessions?
1: Yeah, Peter Reed was the manager at the time. I always remember that because he, he he'd, he'd, he'd he'd walk around. He was a scary figure, um, but the coaching at the time. It was a Big, big influence on me uh, uh, when I was fifteen, sixteen. Before I went and did mailables, was it, it was um, Colin Bell, who I've heard of him. Everyone knows. Yes, I think everyone's heard of him. Do <laughs> you know what? I, I didn't. I didn't realise at the time how good a player he was. It, it, it's only, it's only as time goes by. And he used to, he used to pull me to one side. I used to take a train up from Wrexham every Thursday, to go and uh, do a little bit of training on a Thursday night with Colin Bell. And he um, he always used to pull me to one side. I, I don't know why, but he'd always... A couple of things he used to say. One was always give 100%. He said he, he met so many players down the line that that said they, they could have been a footballer. And he always used to think, well, why couldn't you? And there was an excuse of some some reason. But he said, if you, if you give 100%, you could always hold your hand up and say, I tried my hardest and uh, I just wasn't good enough, if you didn't make it. And he said, there's times in games where your touch lets you down and you have to roll your sleeves up and work hard and stop your opponent. This this was Colin Bell's motto, and it's something that I try to instill to my kids. It's, tr- it's something I try to instill to... Any any kids that I'm, I'm coaching, just in general life, just to give hundred percent in whatever you everything you do, and it, he was a huge huge influence in, in in everything that that came from that, and um, and that work ethic and trying to work hard, which is what I did, and I had to work very hard during my levels and, and playing as well on a Saturday for the, for, for Manchester City, mm-hmm.
0: and just going back to before we move on from the great Colin Bell. Uh, who I managed to get into most podcasts most week be my, my all-time city hero. So I'm delighted you mm-hmm. raised him and give the opportunity to talk about him again. Did you kind of mm-hmm. realise at the time as a youngster uh, what an influence uh, he was at Manchester City and and, and, and what a, a giant he was uh, on the pitch, or did you just kind of see him as this coach who was kind of sort of telling you some interesting stuff? Did you realise at the time as this youngster did it did it really land with you the the, the, the iconic not, not, figure he was? <laughs>
1: not at the time no it's only when my um, it's only when i went back and uh, back to my sisters and I started talking cuz they were big Manchester city city fans and i said colin bell was talking it's only then that uh, their eyes lit up, and it was like Colin Bell, and you know they they'd start to explain. But this is you going back to the days without internet, so you couldn't just look someone up. Sure. And and, and sure. I, I was a late starter with football. I, I, I didn't I didn't I didn't play football till till I was ten years old, and so I didn't I didn't know players as as other kids growing up or, or as fans growing up. It was just, I was just trying to play football. I was just trying to get used to the ball, controlling the ball against walls continuously. So no, I didn't I didn't know of him, but he I, I, just kept pulling me to one side. So he must have seen a little glimpse of something. Maybe even it was my work work ethic. Uh, and I look back and, and thank him for, for pulling me to one side because he didn't have to do that. And um, it, it's something that stuck with me for a very long time.
0: Fantastic. And obviously you work your way through the system and clearly, how did you get with your A-levels, by the way? Did you did you manage to pass any A-levels? Not that there's any relevant yes, at all. But... <laughs> yes, I passed my A-levels.
1: I, I, I took three, but whilst trying to juggle training, I, I ended up dropping my A-levels because it was very, uh, it was very, very based on uh, a lot of work at home, essays, etc., uh, which I just couldn't fulfil the time doing that it was design technology and i I, so i dropped that but i got my two levels and i got an a and a b um um but i i do a lot on my own training wise and at times i'd come and play on a saturday with the boys and you know they've all been together all week uh, every week and sometimes it was hard to come in and almost infiltrate that group because they were a close-knit group and so that was quite tough and coming in. So you had to come in and, and try and prove your worth and, and hope that they passed you, which um, eventually turned that round.
0: And I, I, I've i heard the story about uh, the reserves, of course, who you're playing for then a bit a few years on now. Uh, mm-hmm. Played at Platte Lane. In of course, um, and there mm-hmm. was a, a derby game where there was a certain Brian Robson coming back from injury, uh, so you actually played against yeah. Brian Robson in one game, I believe there's a, a bit of a story about that you might want to tell us. Yeah. yeah, well you see the,
1: the system back then and I, I, for me, I still think is a better system than, than what some of the kids are doing right now, um, but you had the B team, which is, which is where a lot of the 16-year-olds would come and play then you had the, the A team, which is predominantly the 17 and 18-year-olds, but the A team uh, was a good platform for any senior players who had been out for a long time could come in and play in the A-team as a way of getting a little bit of fitness before they then went back into the reserves, before then going into the first team. The, the A-team was a nice way of breaking them in. And this one game, it was my first derby, and it, 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 it's an eye-opener. It, it was my eye-opener anyway to to witnessing uh, a Manchester derby for one. We used to play every Saturday at Platte Lane. And uh, you'd get a few people that would stop and uh, park the cars and and watch from the fence. But this particular day had turned up uh, and the the place is chocker. I thought, what's going on here? This is a derby. The manager was there, Peter Reed. they've all turned up and it's all of a sudden, it's not just a normal game. And this is my first experience, one first of a derby, of how important, not just, not just to the uh, the staff there, the fans that turned and lined up all along the fences. You, you knew this is, this is different. And of course, you're looking through the clean sheet and Brian Robson's there. <laughs> and the lads explaining. I thought, wow, he's coming back from injury. And, uh, so I I played that game, I was playing up front, I remember it vividly, and there a ball that came to me and I chested it, and as I chested it, I, I, I headed it away, I chested it chested and came up, and I headed it away, and as I headed it, Ryan Robson just came and sunk his full studs onto my chest, and I I, I collapsed in a heap, and um, he got sent off, he got sent off that day, um, sure. but it, it, it was, yes, but it, I must have been doing quite well for him to do that, for for one, but also, yeah. it was um, it was also um, an introduction into uh, uh, men's football and to professional football. It was this is how it's done. Once you come into the real game, this is how it's done. And Brian Robson was my first yeah tackle. It, if that was today, I would have probably taken a picture and stuck it on Instagram or Twitter. Just <laughs> <laughs> to show Brian Robson tackled me. Um, but and, it was. A, and it, did it, you yes, see him? Le-
0: did Did you see him later in sort of later in life? And did he ever comment on yeah. it? Did you remember the incident? <laughs> you know.
1: Yes, yes. I played a couple of charity games uh, with Brian Robson. And uh, the first one, I kind of just, I just played with him. It was a charity game. I thought, let's just play. And we played in the same charity game the following year. And um, we'd been chatting. And I, I, I said to him, I said, do you remember this this time when you came and studded me? He said, that couldn't have been me. I was never a dirty player. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, it was okay. great. So it, Fantastic. Fantastic. It was it was I think ninety eight wasn't it then then Jim fast forwarding to when you got your first chance, of course for City you, you came off the bench uh, in a cup game against Bradford and then it wasn't that long mm-hmm. afterwards of course you played your first league game what just tell us what's that what is that like you know we we sit here as fans watching the game I, I just can't really imagine as a young lad uh, born in Zambia sort of grew up mm-hmm. in Wales didn't go to Shrewsbury got this chance at City and suddenly. You are playing for Manchester City, just just give us a bit of an idea what that's like James. just, just it, please it's it's hard it's very very hard to explain, but you know when
1: you when you when you're running around the streets, kicking a ball constantly under under lights um, not knowing where it's going to take you, but just trying to look after this ball and try and control it as best as you can to uh, so watching games, first and foremost, with, with other fans and hearing the cheers of the, of the players coming onto the pitch, uh, and then you being at the side of the pitch, watching the players come and thinking, that, that could be me. You, you never know when it's going to be you. Uh, to that moment where I was on the bench um, to start with uh, against Bradford in that cup game. And even then, I still questioned, that, will I get on? Is this just a, a bit part? And then that moment comes where I'm cold to come on and it's 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 almost like it's almost like it's it's not happening it's it's like oh, this, right I've been called but this isn't happening really and when you go on and the the good thing about that for me was I, I went under the radar. I was, I was never the player that, that a lot of fans talked about. Uh, I'd never come from Liverpool. I hadn't played an international game, so no one knew anything about me. So I, there was no pressure for me, and well, it was probably my best game for Manchester City, um, uh, my debut game. Um, but the the, the 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 noise, the noise is is something that you can't you, you can't explain because you go from training with no one around and shouting, turn man on. All of a sudden, there's thirty odd thousand people there, and that same shout of "turn, man on" is not heard. It's it's, it's really that hard. It's it's a totally different experience on, on the pitch. And you go to take the throw-in, and there's people shouting. It's it's an incredible experience, and uh, uh, it's it, it, it's one that I I will remember for the for the rest of my days, and I, and I've told my kids, and will tell my grandkids as well. <laughs>
0: Uh, and what about the club itself then uh, also Jim at that time just help us understand you know what it was like sort of in terms of the club and some of the characters around at that time who who were the who were the people who you looked up to who were your mates who were the characters around the dressing room at that time well you talk about mates and football uh, is a funny old
1: game as they say but mates you have a lot of mates in football a, a lot a lot of mates but because people move on to different clubs and, uh, and and they find new mates there, you you only ever get a, a very close. You don't get very close to anyone massively at the club. But for me, Kevin Orlock, who was at the time, at, at, uh, 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 later on, and um, was a joker of the pack, uh, along with Les Chapman, who was our kit man. And it's only through it's only through my experience in going to other clubs on loan uh, and and finishing at Wrexham that. You realise that uh, a dressing room needs characters, needs funny people in there. It's it's mm. it's an absolute must. You you can have uh, the, the most serious uh, of of players, but you need you definitely need someone who can break the ice. Mendy, for one, is is, is one at the moment at, at Manchester City, the joker of the pack, as yeah. well as the kit man, and uh, it, they were the types of players. They were the type of players that you that would, could break the ice and keep things going and he was massive for me in the dressing room in how things went about and Les Chapman who was ever present from the, the day I started uh, to the day I left um, yeah. they were the main ones for me who could tick the team over um, just throwing yeah, it out but, there let's, let's, yeah go on, go on sorry Jim you there's, there's plenty more there's, uh, listen so I've played i played with so many players uh, from from good trainers that you could do, uh, to, to bad trainers to to the likes of Kinky, who I'm sure will come, come across, and <laughs> Andy Morrison, again, we'll touch on later on down the line. But um, We will. Uh, Let, yeah. let's, let's, leave, no.
0: let's, let's leave those for a second. Let, let's, let's talk about um, something that I went out on social media, and most of the questions have been about this particular topic, and, and that's playing with your brother Jeff. And, and and Sarah Messenger, who's on the podcast quite regularly, has said, what are the pluses and minuses of playing a professional team sport with a sibling?" I think it's a great question. So uh, it is a
1: can great you start question. off with that. Yeah, and I, do you know what I, I? I was trying to look at some in-depth fancy answers, but uh, you, do you know, I don't know any different. We 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 played football together growing up, and we've got into the team uh, together and we played international football together. And I suppose it's like asking someone who's never had a brother and sister, what's it like not having a brother and sister? They, they won't know because it's just how they grew up. And for, for me and, and Jeff, and again, it's only later on down the line when you come to end your career and realise how difficult it is for people to break into the first team, uh, not only as an individual, but as, as, as siblings. You, you realise how, how lucky lucky you are! Lucky how we were back in the time, and 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 how how it developed. And you look at other brothers, and I've, I've done it in the game. Uh, and it's just we share so many stories. To ring him now and, and talk about football, and to look at pictures, that, that both of us playing is uh, it's 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 an incredible thing. It really is an incredible thing. So not only did um, making a debut. Being such a, a big thing, but to discuss it with your brother who 's done exactly the same thing uh, it 's an incredible buzz, and i, I, I wouldn 't change a thing
0: and, and a lot of people have asked the question which uh, which amuses me slightly and interesting to see what you say to this who who is the better player, Jim or Jeff? <laughs> Do you know, it would be easier if, if i was a goalkeeper and he was
1: a striker that's probably the easiest thing but because we played in midfield you know we all had our, our attributes jeff played football longer than me he started a lot earlier and i always try and say to even anyone listening to this parents or any kids that listen to us that you 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 need you need as many skills in your locker to to produce on the pitch, and uh, I, I always felt I was playing catch up. You know, when I'm still trying to learn how to control the ball, there's people learning how to do overhead kicks or whatever. And uh, Jeff had more time to get more skills under his belt, if that makes sense. So when you're on the pitch, the quicker you can access your skills, the better player you are. If you're always trying to search for them, where's that skill here? It doesn't quite come off as quickly. So I'd say he was he was he was always an edge on that on that front. Um, I was probably a bit more skillful than him, I think. Maybe I always had the ball at my feet, but we both worked hard. And I think every Manchester City fan, however good or bad you are, still, for, if if you give 100%, and we go back to Colin Bell's motto. The, the fans the fans will appreciate that, uh, uh, no matter what you do. And it's something that I uh, I always appreciate. They, they they love someone who gives their, their their heart out, and that's something me and Jeff definitely did.
0: And what about the family? I mean, family turning up and having two two Whitney boys starting in the same team—that that's just that's phenomenal, isn't it? What sort of reaction did you get from the family who would be sitting there, where he was in in the main stand or the directors' box or wherever it was at Main Road they sat? It, well, that, that, yeah, that must have been very special for them, surely, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: my sister and sister's husband, who was a big Dave, who was a they, he was big big city fan. So not only did he used to go and watch. Manchester City, back in the day. But to turn up and uh, watch me and Jeff play, uh, he was he was proud, very proud for starters. But um, uh, again, pin, he would pinch himself. My dad died sadly when I was, I was fifteen, so he never he never got to uh, he never got to see either of us and and what he went. And, and it's funny because when I was young, I was almost. My dad would play golf and I would play golf with my dad all the time. Uh, that was my first love. It's something I wanted to do. I always wanted to be a professional golfer when I was a kid because that's all I played. So when I moved over to, um, to Wrexham, he c- continued work out there in Zambia. And when he came over, he didn't realize how much I'd got into football and he was trying to get me back into golf. Golf was different in, in in Wrexham because by the time you finished school at half three, it started getting dark at four o'clock. So you couldn't really go and play golf the same as I used to do back in Zambia. So he's lucky that he didn't see the fruition
0: of how much work that we'd put in and, and, and where we finished. Of course. I, I wouldn't probably be doing my job properly if I didn't just touch on Jeff and let's say some of the challenges and troubles he's had through his life as well. It's not been easy for mm. him. Uh, do you want to just touch on that for us as well, Jim, as well, your, your views on, on that, Yeah, the, the difficulties that Jeff's had throughout his life. Yeah. I think every city fan
1: knows what, what Jeff had to deal with. Um And not just Jeff, there's a lot of footballers, uh, addiction in general. And, and, you know, a lot of fans may or may not know this, but, when when you're around in the first team or when you're close to breaking into the first team a lot of the senior players uh, back then would, would would say and this is, this is um, goes is rife throughout all, all of football but they would say that you're not going to make it in the game if you don't drink that was that was something that was handed down if you don't drink you're not going to make it in the game and, and of course as soon as Jeff got into the team as soon as I got into the team the first thing did, they'd be out celebrating they'd be giving you drinks and uh, and so your your peers or your, your uh, senior players that you, if they'd set different goals, would it have would it have changed how your career uh, panned out? Possibly. But Jeff got into drinking early doors because all the other first team players were doing it, and uh, and and with it, didn't realise that there was an addiction there, and and uh, that that played up. So I I, I don't. Quite know at times how Jeff played uh, some of the stu- stories he he tells me afterwards. I, I honestly don't know how he even managed to turn up on a Saturday and, and, and play and, and play and play well. He, he had a, he had a decent career, my, my brother, and had he taken the drink off, he, he, he could have been up there with some of the the well knowns. Uh, but he probably played half his career uh, and uh, drunk. Um, and when he ended up at Cardiff, he, he he found cocaine, which, again, he's openly talked about. I'm not saying anything out in the audio or anything, anything new here, but um, it's something that, that 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 picked him on. He realized with cocaine, he could then drink even more. Uh, and it tells me a story about uh, about when he was with Sean Wright Phillips, him and the boys all drinking, all in the bar, all getting drunk. And Sean Wright Phillips, this is when he was still, still at Manchester City. Sean Wright Phillips is drinking orange juice and he's he's getting tired and and he said Sean Wright Phillips said listen I'm going to go home I'm just going to play a bit of PlayStation the the boys have tamed Sean Wright Phillips going home he's not drinking what's wrong with him and then a few weeks a few weeks later Jeff got sacked and Sean Wright Phillips ended up signing for Chelsea. And that's that's exactly the kind of thing that that was happening. And, um, but on the plus side, it's so many stories to tell, by the way, about, about Jeff. So, so many stories. There's one other one where uh, Phil Babb and um, Mark Kennedy got arrested for jumping on cars whilst on Northern Ireland international duty. Jeff got a black eye for a fight in in a pub. And they turned up for Manchester City training and Joe Royal said to them, it's always you two, Mark Kennedy and Jeff, you need to stay away. And then the next thing, he's going to the team sheet and Jeff and Mark are included. And I remember Terry Cook walking away saying, what have I got to do? Have I got to get into a fight and and start drinking (laughs) to get into the team? So that's how good he was. You know, that's how good he was. And he's he's managed to turn himself around. He's now working for the PFA. um, And he... It gives advice to players. And I think for someone that's been there and done it, it's a lot easier to hear advice from someone that's been there and done it as opposed to someone that's gone through uh, university and, and, and learned about addiction. So he's always there and um, he's got himself back. It took a long while. i tell you, Just Jeff, was, I always wondered if he'd go back on it. But uh, Jeff is... How a lot of people remember Jeff, who have met him along the way, it's just now he doesn't need to, to drink, and he's, 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 he's a new man. He really is a new man.
0: Well, it's great news that he's managed to turn it around, and he's now obviously, as you say, making a difference and helping other players at the, at the FA. That's a, a good news story. And In fact, that's probably a very good time to take a break as well. We'll be straight back. Uh, more from Jim Whitley straight after this break. Uh, we've got Jim Whitley with us. Uh, Jim, listen, I'd love to talk about some of the characters uh, that you played with, and there's one standout character that again everybody wants to hear about, and that, of course, is the great Kinky. Uh, you have the pleasure of playing with him. What what a talent! Um, just tell us a little bit about what it was like playing with him. I mean, was he was he a genius or was he a lazy git? Because I've kind of heard I've heard both <laughs> stories when I talk to players. Was he like was he a bit of both? Where, where did you see him?
1: Ah. Uh... Kinky, what a player he was! I, I, I we can talk I, I, the the both that he said. I think he was a bit of both. But when when I first witnessed uh, uh Gio, his his balance, the way his turn of pace uh, uh, on the first two or three yards was frightening, and his ability to stop and change direction uh, once in full flow again was. Uh, incredible. Uh, You'd find yourself on the floor before, and he's turned and gone past you. And he had one particular trick that everyone gets taught when they're younger, and it's a drop of the shoulder. And I used to think it's the most boring kind of trick. (laughs) Until I saw Gio do it, and his body swerve, and how he used the ball, and how he moved his body, he'd send the whole crowd. Everyone knew (laughs) what was happening. And it was the best trick uh, and I now try and teach these to the kids because that 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 one trick is incredible, and he had just the amazing balance. We used to play two touch in training, uh, which meant that's all you had two touches, and you, you, that's all you had. But for Gil, it just looked like he had as many touches uh, 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 as he wanted. He didn't; he only had two touches, but he just he just looked so good. And Gil, unfortunately, uh, and. The fans loved him. And I'm not sure if that's his downfall, but all he had to do was take one man on in a game and he was man of the match. And he just got lazier and lazier. And he got to the point that that's, that's all that's all he did. And the fans loved him. You know, the, there was a time where you'd phone in after and you'd listen to the phone calls coming in and and, and everyone was saying that no one can play with Kinky. And you know what? He was, he was incredible. But he was... We were playing with ten men for eighty-five minutes because he'd done his bit and he turned—he turned off. Now, I mean, can you, you can imagine you imagine it?
0: I was going to say, Jim, can you imagine if he, you talk about Colin Bell earlier on and talk mm. about giving 100%, can you just imagine if King gave gave 100% that Colin Bell talked about together with that mm. natural talent he had, he would have been a world-beater, wouldn't he? Oh, but yes, I've said before, I've said before, Kinky, Kinky should be up there, should be talked about amongst the the, the
1: very best, i mean, going to talk about Messi and Ronaldo at the moment, but I think, he, I think he was incredible. It was literally incredible. But because he didn't have that in a drive, I know Ronaldo at the moment, a ridiculous drive to keep doing well. And to, if he had that drive, hundred percent, he should have been up there and, and, and moved to the, the very best of clubs and be spoke about in a different light, as opposed to, was he a bit lazy? He should, he should never have been talked about in that light. But he, but he was. He was in the end. They put weight on. We'd be doing training. And... We'd have sprint sessions afterwards, which no one likes them. They're, they're hard sometimes, even in pre-season. And he'd just hold his hand up and say, no, I, I, did, not, I did enough. And he'd, he'd walk off. That's it. And you're like, you, all the senior players are doing it, but he'd just, he'd just call it off and, and, <laughs> and leave. And as, a, as as other players looking down, you'd be like, you, you can't do that. And the management team would let him do that. And it just got to the point where when Joe Royal turned up that, he had to make a big decision uh, to whether to drop him or not. You know, drop which he did, of course.
0: Which he did, of course. And that, that so the rest yeah, yes. is history, as they say. Uh, so, yeah, yes. Some of the some of the other greats. Then I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to pick a few names out from from that era. Um, Niall Quinn, of course, was an interesting signing, wasn't he? He came in, big tall striker. Yes, big uh, massive striker. Yes. Your thoughts on? We played. Line? We used to play. Well, I couldn't believe how big he was. <laughs> Walking in the
1: dressing room, big Nile Quinn. What a lovely man he was! Such, such a gentleman, like a big, gentle giant. And we used to play head tennis uh, together, and he always won at head tennis. He was just a, a beast of a man, but a different type of player. You know, he was a bit a, a big target man, easy to hit. You know, uh, as opposed to Paul Dickoff, who who would be a turn and go over the top. Uh, but a, a big figure amongst the Manchester City, and a, just a, a wonderful man to be around. The Brightwell boys, big hard workers. Ian in particular. Um, we've played we've played in quite a few uh, charity games together. But uh, again, siblings there. But he he they they worked particularly hard. Um, but Ian Brighton in particular was just a, a, a consummate professional when it comes to working hard and training and always up there, always up there and running and uh, and applied himself very, very well.
0: Uh, I've written a, a bloke, I don't know if you remember him at all, um, a fellow called Andy Morrison. I don't know if you remember him <laughs> at all. Does he spring to mind? Well, he, re- remind you? remind you about him or do you, do you vaguely Yeah, uh, I get scared sometimes when you say Andy Morrison. <laughs> 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 wow, Andy.
1: Uh, listen, I, I love andy now he's, he's he's fantastic and it was much needed at the time uh, you know he had his demons as well uh, um, that, that came to the, when he was at manchester City but I tell you what he demanded the best of you when he played, he snarled at you he looked like he was going to snap you in half if you didn't put your shift in and it was quite scary at times, but I, I tell you what because he was but because he wanted the best. It was almost like I don't want to stay in this league. I-, I want to get out of this. And he gave you so much stick at times. But do you know what? When he said, "Well done," oh, that meant that that was such a big, such a big feeling to come from from Big Andy. Because you know, to get that remark off him was a, a big G up. Um, but he was a. He didn't play that many games in the end for Manchester City, but. My lord, was he a big influence uh, for us at the time in the dressing room? in just, just uh, again, going back to, to, to Colin Bell, just, just do your best and and, and and get us out of this league. And he definitely got the best out
0: of all the players. We'll come on to the the, the whole sort of Gillingham. Bit and going down to the third tier, and obviously you you obviously mm. didn't play in that in that in that playoff final, but you were part of the squad, I think, weren't you, and involved. Yes. Yeah. So just before we get there, of course, you, you won Young Player of the Year as well, didn't you? And that that's a hell of an accolade, isn't it? Manchester City's oh. Young Player of the Year. That that was a bit yeah. special, surely. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge,
1: it, it's huge. Yeah. and I look back and things turned quite quickly, really. And um, I was one thing I realised at. Uh, when you're at a big club such as Manchester City, unless you're a Geek Nkwadzi, who is almost unreplaceable, coming back from injury, he's straight back in. When when you get injured, there's a lot of players who are there to take your place. And we had a huge squad at one stage, a huge, huge squad of professional players. And um, I, I pulled my hamstring you know, on, uh, whilst playing, I don't know how many games, Manchester City. And the hamstring, I still feel today it, it it never really never really righted itself and, and the, the physio at the time said that you, if you imagine your muscles being like elastic and uh, elastic band just pulling an elastic band if you cut that elastic band and, and put a little piece of string in that elastic band that elasticity just won't go the same and that's a bit like what my hamstring was and I just couldn't come back as fit as I could. It took me ages. And in that time, players had come in and taken my place and, 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 and uh, it was almost time to move away. But I, everything happened so quick for me. I, I, I broke into the first team. Uh, I, I broke into Northern Ireland's team. Then I was a young player of the year. Uh, and if, if there's anything I can change I and mean, anything I could advise to, to parents and kids would be to, to set goals something I didn't do my my main goal was to play for Manchester City. it was just to play football but to play for Manchester City was amazing um, but to set goals you know once I played one game could I could I, could I play 10 after I played 10 could I play another 20 you know once I played for Northern Ireland could I then gone on and made another 10 more appearances um, but it's just as it happens, like I said, the, the players that are around you are, are very interested in drinking, and this is a, a downfall, I think, in, in my progression going through.
0: Well, well Nick, Nick Goldstone, again, another of our contributors on the podcast, he asked the question, and it's linked to what you've been talking about. He said, how do you feel about going from young player of the year in '98 to being out of favour by Jan '99, but not really having played that many games either? Yeah, well, the injury de- without a shadow c- killed me. That 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 was a a
1: big, a big big turning point in my career at Manchester City. And like I said, this, uh, they don't wait for you. you mm-hmm. Things there's still games to be played, and uh, someone else will come in and do the job. Uh, you know, unless you're Geek and Quadsy, you can change things. But it was very frustrating because growing up, we had a we had a new manager every year, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. Manchester City. It was, it, and what happened is every manager that would come in would want to look at the experienced players. They didn't really want to look at the kids. It was always who are the experienced players? Who can I put in? And cool, you just got thrown back to to the beginning again. And um, it's when Frank Clark was there, I actually asked to leave on a couple of occasions because I was playing well and just I wasn't getting a sniff. And you know, he'd give us an extra couple of hundred <coughs> quid a week or whatever and that would keep me happy and uh, before I eventually made my, my debut. But it it's very frustrating when you look at the figures uh and the the amount of time I was there and I should have made more. I wish I'd have made more. But, um, that and, that's
0: and, and football do you, do and that life. Do you think share a question again from, from Paul Denby who says, Do you think you should have left City earlier? You know, you didn't get much of a run in the side. Should you, yeah. Obviously hindsight's a wonderful thing, but I, do you think yes. that would have helped your career? hindsight is a wonderful thing, but I love Ranch City. <laughs> I didn't want
1: to leave. I never wanted to leave. Um, it's such, it's everyone around there from the staff, it was just a, a place that you, 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 you wanted to be. Um, now I look back and league games are massive. Now when I look back, if I ever see a kid that's, that's, that's hanging around too long, it's always good to play in the league uh, and get the league games under your belt. Yeah. But You know, once you're that age and still at Manchester City, it's it's lovely to say you play for Manchester City. um, And you know, would I leave any earlier if I had it again? Probably not. No, because I I loved it that much. I I just, I'd probably just change my goals and try and
0: get and try and do better uh, on that front. I love the club. Can can I talk about the the sort of the ninety eight ninety nine season down in the old third division? You were struggling within. Injuries. What was the club attitude like at the time? I mean, we're still getting twenty-seven thousand people or whatever it was turning up every week, which is mad. Yeah. Of course, it's just just ridiculous. Um, yes, yeah. a big, big club languishing. Let's just repeat that in the third tier of English football for the first time. Were we ever going to get out? So again, a bit of insights it would be great, Jim, from you. What, what was it like working at the club at that time? What was the morale like? What was what was what were people feeling?
1: Well. We went into pre-season. We started pre-season a little bit earlier, actually. Um, Jorah wanted to make sure we were fit uh, and good to go. Um, but preparations, apart from that, were always uh, the same. However, he did, I wouldn't say harp on, but he did continually say that wherever we go, it's going to be an FA Cup game. He, he, he continuously said that. We haven't played any games yet, as yet, but it was something that he, he said, and it's not until we started playing... Um, the league football that you realised what kind of a mess we were in because um, all the games wherever we played the stadiums were full wherever we played and it was it and it was it was a cup game it was one off cup games every week we were playing and it, it, it was tough and it's something that Joe Royal just kept saying look you you need to get out of it and he worked probably harder that season on our fitness more than anything else. He wanted us to be fit. Uh, and uh, we did work a hell of a lot on, on getting our fitness to try and overcome because he said for that one-off game, they will raise their games. Um, but if you can continue and deal with it for most of the game, you will overcome them because we're all better players collectively. Uh, and that was the plan. <sighs> touch wood luckily enough it went it went went our way Um, and as as they they say if it wasn't for that wouldn't be where we are right now but it was trying trying times but um,
0: but it's all a learning curve in football for me Uh, and what was your relationship like with Joe Royal I I I haven't got a bad word to
1: say about him, even though he was the one that didn't kind of renew my contract in the end. And, uh, and Kevin Keegan turned up and uh, I ended up leaving. Um, he, when he turned up, he used to get me and my brother. He'd put an arm around us and he made us feel like we were the best players on the pitch. He, he wanted us to work more than anyone. And he said, we'll win the game for him in midfield. And then he'd, go, he'd bring Michael Brown in, and he'd call us the Ratters, the three Rats. And he he'd, he'd want us to work hard. And he always used to say, in the times he used to get me to to uh, uh, either man mark a player or do a job that uh, maybe the fans wouldn't know what's happening. Um, but if I did the job for him, he'd come off, put his arm around, did the job. And he he just he just made me feel he made me feel great. However. Uh, However much I, I did in the game, you know, I wouldn't have scored a hat-trick or anything like that, but I may have had to track someone a load well or make runs forward just to pull a player out. You might have done that before. Just make runs forward. I won't get the ball, but it'll create a hole in here. And I'd do that continuously and he'd come and say, well, brilliant. And it, I, I, I loved him. And little tactics like that that went along, uh, he was one of the first managers that I realised, him and Willie, little tactics that you... you to, 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 uh, put a different outset on the team that you're playing against. It was fantastic, and he it was, it was great to work with.
0: And just to be clear, you, I'm assuming you're talking about Willie Donaghy there, who was part of his coaching staff at the time, yeah?
1: Yes, Willie Donaghy. Probably one of the fittest coaches I've ever had to work with. We, he used to come in uh, uh, and just start running with us, and he'd just say, stay with me. And, you know, coaches, you're like, it's okay. And I was one of the fit lads at the time. And so we, you'd run alongside him, and then you'd start thinking, he's not stopping, he's, he's, he's going. And he used to leave players behind, constantly leave players behind. And this was the level that he wanted you to be fit. Stay with me, and we'll get you fit. And he was, he was incredible. He really was incredible. And he was light years ahead, to be honest. He tried to bring in uh, meditation and things like that from ages ago, yoga, which
0: some of the lads laughed at. But he was, a, he was, a, he was a ahead of time uh, and, a, and a great coach. And a, and a great player of course as well what a fantastic fullback he was and what a yeah. great servant for the club uh, I, I mentioned earlier that obviously you didn't play in the playoff final but I think it uh, it's such an important part of City's history I just want to touch on it kind of the build up to that day obviously you'd been mm-hmm. out with injury there, there was no chance of you ever playing in that game I suspect so it wasn't a yeah. huge surprise when you weren't playing but you were part of the squad just just again help us understand a little bit about the feeling of, of the build up to that game and, and what happened afterwards what, what a day that was what a what a game!
1: Wow, well, I think every city <laughs> fan has got a story about that game. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, sadly for me, I was injured, and, and as it happened, um, uh, my brother was out on on loan, and he got he got called back into the team because he was out of favour, but they needed players, so he he came back, and uh, eventually kind of stamped his place and, and ended up playing in the final. But uh, we we'd gone so far uh, with dealing with these. One-off cup final games every week in the league that it had accumulated to this final cup game that we needed to win, and it, it was emphasised to us that how 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 big and how historic it would be to to win this and and, and come up um, and get out of this league for starters because it it wasn't the best and we'd have to deal with it again. So it's it's something Joe Royal would would put to us and and. It, it, well, I can't tell you how the, the emotions that went through it because I was there. I, I I wished I was playing, um, um, but I I couldn't. But I just had to witness it as a fan almost and sit and watch. And nothing I could do about it, and and um, and the rest of the history, as they say. This, this incredible, incredible game,
0: and and, and the. the... Question: City fans are always asked, and I'm going to ask you as well. Uh, the most important goal: dickoff's goal against Gillingham, or Aguero's against QPR? Which is the most important goal for City? Oh
1: dear, dear, dear.
0: <laughs> well, I'd
1: still, I'd still have to go with that. i have to go with Dickoff, Dickoff for now, because it, without dickoff's goal, we could still be hanging around. Because what would have happened in you know, such a big club is you have to get rid of of, of players' wages. So. All the best players would have to go. You'd have to start bringing in more kids, and then, you, you then you're then competing with other people on, on, on a similar uh, a level. Whereas I suppose Aguero's, that team was getting better and better. They probably would have had the same again the following year. <laughs> Listen, they had so many after that. It's, but yeah, dick off for me. Um, unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Uh, Now, as I said at the start, you you were rubbish compared to your brother, but you did play some international football as well, didn't you, Jim? Of course. So uh, we've got a couple of international related questions as well from from Cousins, actually. The first one's from Dave Hodgson, who said, what are the challenges of playing internationally whilst applying your trade in the lower divisions where league fixtures are less set up to accommodate them? Um, again, you take it in your stride. It's just part
1: and parcel of football. Um, although I say most of mine were probably when I was at Manchester City. Um, uh, but uh, again, you know no different. You you just have to take it on the chin. There's a lot of times, even around the Christmas period, when you have to play so many games, where um, uh, you know your legs are tired, but everyone else is doing it. So uh, you you just have to deal with it. Um, and you know it's playing for. I used to get. I used to get. Uh, the lads used to have, have a go at me saying, uh, how the hell are you you Irish? You know, but I, my, my dad was from Belfast, so I couldn't get more Northern Irish. And, and So I used to get a lot of stick for that. But you know, it was great to travel with Northern Ireland and, and experience that side of it.
0: Uh, and Joe Doherty, who happens to be Dave's cousin, said you didn't play many times for Northern Ireland. But give us some memories of wearing that famous green shirt and the feelings of actually, I didn't realise this, but I believe he never played at Windsor Park. Is that right
1: no, yeah I was there i 've been there, i 'd been on the bench, never come on um, and again I've mentioned this just briefly again with with your peers and and the, the players around you. We had such a good squad uh, back then, such a good squad, a lot of top quality players in there. however, I found this out really quickly. I made my debut in against uh, Spain. Uh, we lost 4-1, I I was meant to match for that game, funny enough Um, but it it was a big drinking squad, it was just that's that's what it was honestly, I can't believe I can't believe as a Northern Ireland international squad the antics that went on uh, behind the scenes, a lot lot of fans wouldn't, wouldn't know, and we I remember travelling back on the plane with every other punter on the plane there and lads are slapping people's heads in front of them and it was was like a school trip. But the amount of drinking that went on and uh, again setting goals and trying to be as best as you can wasn't there for that international squad. The lads obviously played for their, their respective teams but the goals for Northern Ireland was more about where are we going to go afterwards for a drink? That was basically all it was, and I, I wish I wish there was a bit more professionalism at that time. So that, uh, but I, again, I was part of that. Um, but setting goals and and doing as best as you can would have probably furthered my career on that front.
0: I bet it's changed a bit now, I would have thought, Jim, hasn't it? I would have thought that no oh, other way things without are organised. It's, it's completely different. Yeah, sure. without a doubt. Without a doubt.
1: You know, And I think uh, uh, as well with camera phones, uh, internet, and everything yeah. else around it, you, cannot, you cannot do the things that we used to get up to back in the day. <laughs> Impossible. You'd be sacked. <laughs> You'd be sacked within, sure. within an instant. And so you, you've got to be more professional.
0: You've got to be fitter. You've got to look after the body uh, uh, and apply the skills that are needed to become a footballer. Let, let's talk now your, kind of your time after City because you had a whole series of loan spells and you ended up at Wrexham of course didn't you? Happy, happy yes. times there?
1: Very happy times to begin with uh, Dennis Smith was manager at the time um, I was player of the year that, for that first season as well at Wrexham which again was a, a fantastic uh, accolade and uh, I had an agent at the time I, I played so well that first season I, I I was almost certain I'd get a move back up and it it didn't work, and I was got about the agent because i don't think I don't think anyone particularly came to watch me at the time um but I played so well I was we used to travelling with Darren Ferguson and Brian Carey, who were all Manchester based, and we'd all going together and we had great times. We got promoted in two thousand two, I think two thousand and three. Um, great times. We won football league winners and the FAW Premier Cup winners, and three years on the trot. But near the end, at Wrexham, they had troubles where they, they 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 couldn't couldn't pay us, and that was the downside of football. Um, when you know you go three months or so without getting paid, and it was just. It was a horrible time. It was a time where I ended up leaving football and I, I hated the game uh, when I when I finished at Wrexham uh, because of the likes of things like that that were happening. But Wrexham uh, as a well whole was a great time for me and that's where I grew up uh, from 10 to uh, 15, 16, did my GCSE. So it, it was a good time right at the beginning, but it turned a little sour at the end with, with payments, uh, sadly, but still a, a, a good learning experience in, in football.
0: And now, of course, uh, I was fascinated to see uh, and know that uh, two of your passions now are things that you sort of you're you're doing a bit more of, and that's kind of your painting and singing, or your drawing and singing. I mean, two fantastic mm. talents. And anybody who uh, is interested should, should you know look at your website. And you have produced mm. some amazing pieces of art. Just just talk us through that. Is that something mm. you've always done? It's not something you've just done since you've retired from football. You've kind of always been an artist in some form, I believe. Yeah, I used to copy anything. Dad used to doodle things, and I'd copy, I'd copy that. And yeah,
1: when I got into school, that's probably around, I was probably around about eleven when I, I, I drew a piece that kind of came to life a bit with colours. And I remember thinking, oh, that's that's sticking off the page a bit. That's quite good. And uh, I, I went through and uh, when I was sixteen, in DMA levels, I I, I studied in uh, chiaroscuro, which is dramatic light coming from various angles onto a face and I, I went into portraiture and um, that's a very difficult thing to to get into and, uh, but I, I, I love doing faces and portraits and um, uh, so I, I kind of did portraits alongside my football for, for quite a while and I'll, I'll continue to do portraits. It's just quite a lonely existence from being with players in dressing room laughing, joking, hearing stories, and fans laughing and screaming and shouting, to just being sat on your own in a room, it's, it's, it's quite lonely. And, and this is where the singing came in. Uh, when I again, I was in the choir as a kid growing up. Uh, I never thought I'd, I'd end up doing the singing, but funny enough, it's when you're on stage singing, it's it almost fills the void of of not playing football, if that makes sense. There's still a crowd there, and you still you still have to put a, a mask on, so to speak, and, and perform. When I go into a football pitch, I'm, I'm probably one of the, a, a nice guy. I would probably say I'm quite a nice guy for the pitch, but when you go on the pitch, it's a different thing. You have to put your foot in. You have to become someone else, and and it's exactly the same with the singing. And and I quite like that interaction. So it, it's a it's a good mix and uh, something
0: that I enjoy doing. And they both keep you busy, I guess, as well. Do you, the portraits and the singing? You, you, the, they're both keeping you busy now. What are the things you up to as well, or is that is that kind of what you do now?
1: No, I, I do the two. But I, I I got back into football because my son plays football. He's 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 you now signed with with Blackpool a uh, football club, um, and I got I found a love for football again. I started watching football again. I just I, there were so many good coaches that I would played with who could get sacked because results aren't going right in the first team and I, I just fell out of love with it and but now I do I do quite a bit of one-on-one training with with with, with, with kids try and pass on any knowledge that I can uh, or any shortcuts that I, they can take that I I took a long time doing against the wall and try and pass on whatever I can to to, to kids so I'm, I'm getting back into football which is something that I, I, I I've loved for a long time but just it was just that little awkward patch so uh, I, I love playing my trade to anything I can
0: so we need to look out for your son because he's going to be the second uh, Whitley who's going to be better than you then is he as well we've got Jeff, your son <laughs> yes. and then your, yeah
1: yeah <laughs> Well, I did, you know, I did say to him it'd be easy for him to go into first team or, or break into football because he, there's no big expectations. It's not like a, a a Beckham where you've got good luck trying to fill boots, you know, or a Ronaldo or something like that. But he, he could easily slip in uh, uh, and and do do a job. But you know. It's a fine line. Get like I said before, getting into football. A very, very fine line. You've got to be lucky. You've got to have the right coaches that that, that like you at the right time. Uh, and and
0: yes, and see how see how the how you progress. Absolutely brilliant. Listen, Jim, it's been fantastic talking to you. Reminiscing, hearing about some of the characters, hearing about the drinking. The three rats I like. I think we've got a title for our <laughs> podcast this week as well. I do like the three rats. That might be, and the fact that uh, we've confirmed your brother and your son are both better footballers than you, so that's great. Um, <laughs> yes, thanks. <man. laughs> before you go, we're going to do our quick fire round. You can't think long and hard about this. The questions come thick and fast. It's whatever first comes into your head. Are you ready?
1: Okay, yes.
0: Right, Marmite, love it or hate it? Hate it. Clark or Royal? Royal. Oh God! Sky blue or red and black stripes?
1: Sky blue.
0: Bell or De Bruyne? De Bruyne. You're thinking too much about these. Christmas yes. or your birthday? <laughs> Christmas or your birthday. Christmas. Christmas. S- ski slopes or beach? Beach. Singing or painting? Painting, pint of beer or glass of wine. Oh, glass of wine. City or Northern Ireland? City. Main road or the Etihad Stadium? Main road. And my favourite, Jim Whitley or Jeff Whitley? <laughs> Oh, Jim Whitley all day long. <laughs> Jim Whitley, it has been a joy and a pleasure. You've been a superstar. Great talking to you. Thanks to Jim Whitley. This is Nigel Rothman saying thanks for listening and we'll talk to you all very soon. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you've got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit Playback Media. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky.
1: No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back,
0: keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.